think Derek was prepared. I think he took this business seriously. I think he was a dedicated worker. Uh, so some of that onus is on the players, and I let them know that today. The Asman and Beauty Podcast starts right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Asman and Budic Show. Jake Asman alongside Dan Budic. We've got a great show in store. Lots to talk about. You just heard Phil Jackson from his press conference after the Knicks fired Derek Fisher. We'll touch on the state of the Knicks right now and where they're headed and their bleak future at the moment. We'll touch on some baseball as well, and we'll certainly get to the NFL Combine by the end of the show. Dan, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Good to be back for another show. A lot to get to today. and uh, In Los Angeles, in of course. In Los Angeles. Still in Los Angeles. We'll be here till May, and it's still going well. This is our fourth, technically our fourth show. We had the interview with Wally last week, but uh, technically our fourth show. And 78 degrees and sunny as we sit down and record this. A beautiful this. day today. But actually, before we dive into the, the world of sports, lots to get to, as I just said, on the show... The weather in Ithaca, outside of a couple days, I've been told, hasn't been that bad. It seems like every time I, I open my phone and I look, just the curiosity of the weather in Ithaca, New York, it seems like it's in the 40s, the 50s. I think one day last weekend it was in the 60s. What's going on out there? Well, the thing with Ithaca, it, it's been a weird season, even when we were there. Cause in mean, the we, fall, we didn't have any cold. Well, in the fall, usually you get a couple snowstorms, it gets cold. The coldest day was the Corica Juggin that we called for WICB, but we were in the booth and we had the adrenaline of it the game. Freezing. It didn't really affect us that much because we didn't really have to deal with it. We were in the booth, but that day was cold. It, it was cold. That was the coldest day of the semester, and now you look at what's going on in Ithaca now. I mean, there were, you know, there was about a week straight when it was negative degrees in, in Ithaca, New York, of course, as it is in upstate New York around this time. But overall, from what I've been told, it hasn't been that bad. But if you're listening to this show, we're here to try and provide you some entertainment, get away from the cold, get away uh, from the nasty weather in Ithaca, New York. And as I was saying, Dan, we have a lot to get to. Spring training is underway. We'll certainly talk some Mets and Yankees later on in this show. But we begin with the Knicks because they are an other embarrassment. Well, they're really the biggest New York sports story right now. And unfortunately... Not in a positive way. I, I don't. What is the new? What are the New York Knicks? It feels like every a bad it feels basketball like the team. Last fifteen years, it's been let's rebuild, let's rebuild, and then you rebuild, and you, then you got to rebuild again. There is no direction. It just seems like when there is a slightest bit of you think the team's going in the right direction, they tank. And we saw that a couple of years ago. The team won uh, fifty-four games, went to the playoffs, went to the semi uh, Eastern Conference semifinals, and lost. And you thought, oh, here's the rise of the Knicks. The Knicks are going to be back as uh, as as pro- a prominent team in the Eastern Conference and a team that can compete year in and year out uh, for that spot in the finals as an Eastern Conference champion. And unfortunately, it just has spiraled downward. And, you know, the thing this past week with Kurt Rambis, the interim head coach, liking a, a, a pornographic tweet on Twitter. And what I found so weird about this whole thing was it wasn't like this was sought out by someone in the media. The Knicks posted about it before anyone else knew about it. The Knicks made this a story. This would have never been a story. No one would have noticed it. what tweet Kurt Rambis is liking. No one would have noticed it, but the Knicks went out there, the Knicks PR department, and apologized and claimed that Kurt Rambis' Twitter was hacked. But for some reason, someone hacked his Twitter and liked one singular tweet. It makes no sense. And it's ridiculous that the Knicks even put anything out there because if they didn't and just let it go, no one would have known a thing. Well, what's it's interesting about it, it, why does everyone always get hacked? You know, I don't even know if people get hacked anymore. Or is that Who's just hacking Kurt Rambis' Twitter? Well, uh, hold on a second. If you're going to hack the head coach of the New York Knicks, 
Why are you only liking one tweet and moving exactly. on? Wouldn't you want to, I don't know, maybe send a ridiculous tweet? We're trading Carmelo Anthony. We're going to trade Przingis. We're going to the play. Just be ridiculous. Be funny. Be creative. Uh, I mean, I don't really care about this whole hacking story. To me, it's a non-issue. The story with the Knicks. Well, see, I think it's not, it's a non-issue, but because of the, the circus that is this, the Knicks this year and the, the, the poor play they've had over the last month and just the, the nonsense with Derek Fisher that resulted in his firing, it just seems like it's, it's just a ridiculous story. And what I didn't get about it was it wasn't like this was so – TMZ caught hold of this and saw it and put it out there. The Knicks made this a story by apologizing that Kurt Rambis' Twitter was hacked and a tweet was liked. It was like, why did the Knicks go out of their way to make this a story? Who in the Knicks' PR department and public uh, in their in their media department and PR department, who thought this was a good idea? It made it a, a really, over the last couple of days, just a ridiculous story. They had to do something, though, Dan, because you knew this was going to get discovered. It was found, I don't think it would have gotten discovered. Yeah, I mean, people found it on Twitter. That's why the Knicks had to comment about it, because it was brought I, I to the it, attention I, of the I Knicks. I don't think it would have... I do not think, if they didn't say anything about it, I don't think it would have if, if they just... Do, if Rambis just deleted the tweet, or unlike the tweet... The Knicks did not need to put out a message that they're apologizing on behalf of their interim uh, coach for his Twitter being hacked. I, I just thought it was ridiculous. Well, I agree. And then you get to the team on the floor, and the reason why we're talking about you know the Rambus porn tweets is because the Knicks are a joke on the basketball court at 24-32. and 32. And listen, when this team was 22-22, and 22, they were 500. People had a lot of confidence. Hey, maybe this team can go 500, sneak into the playoffs as an 8 seed, and that'd be great because guess what? They don't have a first-round pick. So the Knicks built a team this offseason. Phil Jackson built a team this offseason that should have been good enough to make the postseason. Instead, you're 22-22. and 22. Now you're 24-32. and 32. You fire the head coach. Kurt Rambis can't coach. He had no success in Minnesota. I mean, this is a guy that played players significantly worse than Kevin Love when he was in well, Minnesota. Well, this is just an interim move for this year. He, he's not going to be the coach. Which brings me to my next point. If Kurt Rambis is not going to be the coach next season, stop having him coach like the Knicks are trying to win games to make the playoffs. That ship has sailed. When they were 20-2 and and 22 and Derek Fisher was still the team's head coach, okay, fine. You're competing for a playoff spot. But, hey, you don't have a pick this year. Przingis is not playing as enough minutes as he should be as one of the young players on this team, and neither is Jerry and Grant. Well, this is why I think, and I think a big reason why the Knicks aren't going out and uh, searching for a, a permanent head coach candidate in season, as I think they know that they're not going anywhere this season. And not bringing in a guy right now, I don't know how much uh, how much is going to help. I think the team, you know, like you alluded to a, a few minutes ago, the team's not good on the court. They lack talent, and this is an issue that's been going on for a couple of years with the Knicks. They do, but they shouldn't be this bad. No, they shouldn't be this bad. But what I'm saying is, is I understand why they're just going to have Rambis right out the rest of the season. I'm not disputing that, but you can't be half pregnant. You can't have Kurt Rambis coaching like he's trying to win well, basketball that's just games. Well, the fans. The, the Knicks are the only reason that they're. I mean, the, realistically, they have no shot at making the playoffs. But, and but they're trying. To, they're just trying to appease a fan base that that is hungry. No one's being appeased. But you're right. But this is what the Knicks are doing. Well, and they're wrong. That's the whole no, point I, I'm, I'm trying not to make. Defending what they're doing, they are wrong. But this, they're taking the route. Is you know what? 
let's try to make it look like we're going for it, we're going for it when we're really not. Well, you know what, Dan? Let's not call it the Mecca of basketball and say and you're fans are the oh, smartest basketball fans. It hasn't been the Mecca of basketball in 20 years. Well, let's not say that it's the Mecca of basketball and that the Nick fans are the smartest fans. If you're a Nick fan, you should be able to see right through it, and I think we all do. This team's not going anywhere. They're not making the postseason, and you look at this Knicks team right now, uh, currently constituted, they're going nowhere. That is abundantly obvious. Aaron Afala shouldn't be playing major minutes. They have guys that should be playing more minutes that are younger core players on this roster. I need to find out if Jaron Grant can play. Right, I know Jose Calderon can't play. Well, you, know, you know what you have. I need Calderon. to see Langston Galloway play. I obviously need to see Przingis play. The way Rambis has managed his rotation so far has been terrible, and it's time for Phil Jackson to step in and say, hey, I'm the team's president and general manager. You're going to play these guys X amount of minutes. No more Calderon. No more watching Aaron Afaro chuck up shots. I don't think it's It's pathetic. It's pathetic. I think this is what the Knicks are trying to do. I think they're trying. I really just think they're trying to appease this fan base that to try to give, I don't know, some, and, and really New York fans, New York fans, especially New York Knicks fans, deserve more credit than what the Knicks are giving them that, you know, they're trying to be fooled that this team has a chance to make the play. They have no shot. They're a bad basketball team. They lack talent. They lack coaching. And, and really just move, go, move, bad moves have been made by the Knicks over the last couple of years, and including some moves made by Phil Jackson. And let's get to those moves right now because Phil Jackson, I think it's fair at this point to question whether or not this guy has what it takes to be a successful general manager in this league. And I'm not ready to run Phil out of town, but, I mean, the facts are the facts. Let's look at what Phil has done. Every single player on this Knicks team... The team is significantly worse now than it was when he took over. And let's look at this team, though, Dan. Look at this roster. Look at this Knicks roster. He's had a hand in every player that's on this roster. His first big move was to re-sign Melo, and that's fine, but that means you're signaling to your fan base that you expect to be able to compete within a couple years while you utilize Carmelo's prime. Doesn't it feel like that they only re-sign, or at least now looking back on it, they only re-sign Melo again to appease the fans that they were trying to build a winner when really maybe Phil had a different motive of, you know what, we'll re-sign Melo, but we're not committed to I'll tell you why I don't buy that. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. But I'll tell you why I don't buy it. Because if Phil Jackson did that, he shouldn't have taken the job in the first place. He had full control, and I believe that. I believe that Phil honestly thought... What is the direction of the Knicks? Well, let me tell you what Phil honestly thought. Because it comes back to the point of looking at the moves that he made. He trades for Jose Calderon. He says that this guy is the perfect point guard for the triangle offense. He's been terrible. Can't play. You look at some of the other moves he makes. He's giving big money to Lopez, who's a nice player, but they wanted Greg Monroe. They wanted LaMarcus Aldridge. None of those players took the Knicks' money. He trades Tyson Chandler as one of his first big moves in that Calderon trade and got absolutely nothing for it. Samuel Down there, you remember him? He was the other player in that deal. He can't play. So what Phil has shown you is maybe he doesn't have the best eye for talent. And then he signs a Flaro who can't play, can't be a starting two-guard on a championship-caliber NBA team. The only good move Phil has made has been Przingis. And I'm going to give him credit for that. I don't agree when Nick fans say, oh, Przingis fell into his lap, because at the time, you Nick fans were all booing the pick, saying it was the worst thing ever. Phil showed you he can identify talent, at least in the draft, because getting Przingis was a great move. But, Dan, my question to you is this. You look at the moves Phil has made, I don't know right now if he could be a great right. GM. I'm not going to run him out of town. But, I mean, facts are the facts once again. Every single player on this Knicks team was handpicked by Phil Jackson from re-signing Mello to what they did this past offseason. And right now, the Knicks are 24-32 and 32 and are one of the most embarrassing franchises in the NBA. And they have been for the last number of years. And I think, 
Uh, it's just it's disappointing because I remember a couple of years ago when the Knicks brought in Phil Jackson, it seemed like that was the change. That that was going to be, you know what? We have a champion, a guy who has won at, at the NBA level, eleven time champion. You know, played with the Knicks, won a championship with the Knicks, and it just felt like a great fit for him to come back. But maybe you're right. Maybe he doesn't have the eye. And some people brought it up a couple of years ago. Maybe Phil Jackson is not. A, a, a good president. Maybe he's not a good general manager. Maybe he doesn't have that eye for talent. Maybe, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't have that eye for putting a team together. Because we all know there's a big difference between putting a team together on the floor that's going to win and taking a group of players that were ha- handed to you and coaching them to, and coaching them to be a winner. It, it's, it, there's a big difference in putting a team together and coaching a team. And I think we're seeing that with Phil Jackson. There have been a lot of moves and. It's hard to, you know, I like Phil. I like, I, he's, a, he's a, one of the great men in the history of the National Basketball Association. You want to love Phil Jackson. But the facts are the facts. He has made some horrendous moves. And the Knicks are worse than they were two years ago when he took over. They're, they're a worse basketball. And they're banking on Przingis. They re-signed Melo. Melo could still play. But the rest of this well, roster let's be honest. is embarrassing. If they take say they took Winslow. Winslow. What would the Knicks have to hang their hat on? Nothing. Winslow's a nice player, but he's not. He hasn't shown that he is going to be the ceiling or have the ceiling that Chris Stapps Porzingis has. What do the Knicks have going for them besides Chris Stapps Porzingis? And even Nothing. look, at, even look at Porzingis, right? You look at this guy and what he's being able to do with this team. Porzingis has had a great year for a rookie. He's in consideration for Rookie of the Year with Towns, and they've had, for the most part, Carmelo Anthony playing at a high level. I know Melo's been hurt, and they haven't won without him, but Melo's been around for much of this season. And the Knicks are in a spot where they're 24 and 32, not going to make the playoffs, don't have a pick. And the biggest indictment on Phil Jackson, Dan, and we didn't get to this, and we should right now, he was the one who handpicked and hired Derek Fisher and gave him a five-year, $25 million contract. Right. That's on Phil Jackson. Right. The, 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 the decision, and I remember at the time, I, we, you know, it seems like we trusted Phil that he was going to pick a, a good head coach and... Remember Steve Kerr's names jumped up in the conversations. Obviously, he wanted to stay closer to home, went to the West Coast, took the job at the with the Warriors, and obviously it worked out. Couldn't have worked out better for him as the Warriors are 50-5 and five as we sit today as the defending NBA champions. But you're right. And what was the thing on Derek Fisher? He's going to be a great coach one day. He's going to be a phenomenal coach. He's one of the great best. Even when he was still, even when he was with the Lakers and the Jazz, you, all you heard about Derek Fisher was that he, he was gave a guy with no coaching you're experience right. twenty five million dollars. One year, out of, one year uh, not even a full year out of out of retirement. Uh, in retirement, Phil Jackson uh, hires Derek Fisher to coach the Knicks, and you're right. And he, he fires him after not even a year and a half. He was on Phil, and it was a terrible move. And then the way Phil wrote about it, referring to him as D-Fish on Twitter, it was just, I don't like the way the Knicks have been handled by Phil Jackson the last couple of years. And it's very disappointing because it seems like the Knicks are just heading in a downward spiral and they have nothing to hang their hat on. You mentioned it, no first-round pick this year. They had the first-round pick last year, took Przingis. I mean, what do they have going for him over the next couple of years? Well, the only thing I'll say about Phil Jackson, and I'm going to say it again, I am not advocating for the Knicks to fire him. They're paying him $12 million a year. It's too early right now for the Knicks to make a change. But you look at where the Knicks are right now, currently constituted, and Phil Jackson, for his sake, better get this next head coach right because his tenure will be defined by the next head coach he brings in, already his second head coach going into his third season as the GM. And we hear all about the cap space, the cap space going up, this and that. Cap space is just air, unless you bring well, in a top the, player. And the, the problem is, 
is when you have a, when you have a cap space going up, everyone's going to have cap room. Why are there's you coming no, to the Knicks? There's no incentive. Kevin Durant's Again, not coming here, Knicks fans. You know, six years ago when LeBron James hit free agency, we said, well, the mecca of basketball, he'll want to play in New York and everything New York has to offer. It's 2016. If you're famous and you're a great basketball player, you're going to make money no matter where you go. What city you play in, it doesn't matter. The appeal of playing in New York, as we saw five, six years ago with LeBron James, how he could have came here and been the face of the New York Knicks and the face of New York basketball forever. Think about that. Forever. And he didn't want to do it. Because the, the appeal of playing in New York is not what it was 20 years ago. It's not what it was anymore. The NBA... Professional sports, it's different. New York does not have, at least in basketball, doesn't have that same appeal. It just doesn't, and it's a shame. It's a shame because the Knicks, until they put a, a until a player, an, a, a, a prolific Kevin Durant, a Russell Westbrook, until they see that the Knicks are really headed in a championship direction, they're not going to want to play with the Knicks. They're not going to want to be a Knicks. They're not going to want to play in this city. Until the Knicks show and Phil Jackson puts a team on the court that can finish 500, that can be around 500, that can contend for a playoff spot, that's when maybe you'll see free agents say, you know what, I want to be a Knicks. And you know, when this team was 22-22, and 22, you said, you know what? Maybe they, we were going to that. If game. they sneak in the playoffs, you have Porzingis, you have Carmelo to build around. But now with Melo, with his injury issues, his chronic knee issues, which keep coming up and hurting I this mean, team. it seems like he can't play more than three or four games in a row. Porzingis is not enough to get you a top top star. But you know what? I've been wrong before, and I'm hoping as a diehard Nick fan that Phil Jackson will hire a the right coach, as I just said earlier. But he's got to build this team. Because the idea that, oh, the Knicks have cap space, everyone's going to want to come and play in New York, you're right, Dan. Just not the case anymore. It's unfortunate, but it's just not the case. And, you know, where the Knicks are right now is embarrassing. They should be a lot better. They were built to be a team that could contend for a playoff spot. And this effort is just not cutting it. And it really is shameful. But when we come back on the Asbury and Budic show, we'll talk about a little baseball. Is it, year, spring training. is it boom or bust for the Mets, Dan? Do they have to win the World Series for this upcoming season? To be a success, we'll discuss it next right here on the Asmund Beauty Show. Back right after this. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gus Buster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit GusBuster.com and get your GusBuster today. Hi, this is Jim Craig of the 1980 Olympic team. You believe in miracles? Yes! And you're listening to Asman and Beauty. Back on the Asman and Butik Show, Dan Butik alongside Jake Asman. Just talked a little about the Knicks, Kirk, uh, Kurt Rambis, and, and the, the really ridiculousness of the New York Knicks and how big of an embarrassment they've been to New York. Switching gears, though, to baseball. Spring training is upon us. Pitchers and catchers are reported. Everyone's reported by now. And a lot going on Mets. Really, Yoannis Cespedes' his car coming in last two days. He's got the spider yesterday. Today he rolled in with a, a black on blue Lamborghini. Tomorrow he's coming in with a Batmobile. Is he? Is that a real? No, one? he's ready to go. He's got. That's I mean, what happens when you get paid twenty eight million dollars for a season. Twenty eight million dollars. He rolled into spring training today. Really, the last two days, and he, that's been the story on Twitter for the Mets. It's, it's been less about what's going on in the field and 
more about what cars Yoenna Cespedes is going to roll into Port St. Lucie with. And I'll tell you, when Cespedes re-signed with the Mets, it kind of has the feeling of the 2010 Jets when Darrell Rivas re-signed. Jets go to the AFC Championship game in 2009. They're on the cusp of being a team that can contend for a Super Bowl. Their star player holds out. They don't know if they're going to get him. Rivas comes back right before uh, training Similar camp. Feel. Cespedes re-signs right before spring training, and now the Mets are ready to go to try and contend for a championship. But, Dan, as a big Mets fan, I'll ask you this, because this has been the conversation on a lot of sports talk shows. Is the, 26, uh, the 2016 season a success if the Mets aren't hoisting a championship trophy come October? No, I think there are two answers for that. As a, as a Mets fan, I would say, you know, they went to the World Series last year. The goal is to get back there and win it. But, obviously, it's it's tough to, to determine success on, on how well they do. A lot plays into it, but... You know, going into the season as pure as a pure Met fan, I, I yeah, I mean, I, you want them to win the World Series. I mean, they went there last year, they lost, um, and I think they're good enough to get back. But I don't know if I would call it a failure. It really all depends how the season unfolds. Uh, if they win ninety-five games or a hundred games or whatever they do and lose, you know, in seven games in National League Championship Series, I don't know if I could say it's a failure, but. I think the expectations are that this team can and hopefully will get back to a World Series. Well, uh, right now, the Mets' odds are 12-1 to 1 to win the World Series. The Cubs are favorites at 4-1. to 1. But I'll tell you what, as a Mets fan, I think the expectation should be, you know, World Series or bust. The Mets have this window right now to try and the win a championship. Right this is it. In the next four years of the Mets' window to be a world champion. And they, they have the opportunity. They've been starving uh, for the postseason. The Mets fans were after nine years and without it. They got back last year. I'll tell you what. I think the problem with this question is, what if a bunch of guys get hurt? Exactly. Then you're still going to say it's, it's a failure? Exactly. It's tough to put uh, a fa- the word failure on this season. What if Matt Harvey blows out his arm it tomorrow? It depends what, how it all unfolds. If this team is healthy, I mean, they can go back to the world. They have the tools to be a championship team. I mean, the tools are there. They got a deep lineup. They got great starting pitching. They improved the back end of the bullpen. But it's, you know, it's easier said than done. You know, We've seen great teams not win before. It happens all the time. So they got to go out and prove it. Well, just look at the Nationals from last season. Exactly. Everyone had them winning 100 games. Everyone picked oh, them to win the absolutely. World Series. And they had what I would consider, obviously, a failure of a season. If that's that not, happens to the Mets this year... You're right. Exactly. You're right. If, if what happens to the Nationals happens to the Mets this year, where they have all the expectations, they're one of the favorites in baseball to win the World Series after going to a really competitive five-game series with Kansas City last year... And they don't make the playoffs this year, let's right. say, Very that'd be a failure. But if guys get hurt, DeGrom blows out his arm, Harvey blows out his arm, Cespedes gets hurt. Yeah, barring major injuries. It's hard to say it's a, it, it's hard to say it's hard it'd to be say. a failure. But it, you know what? It, it's, again, I can't it, – we're at a point with the Mets where it's – I can't get on management. I can't get on Sandy. Sandy has done everything he, he, he could this offseason to put a championship team back on the field and to get the team back to the World Series. It's about them executing, staying healthy. And, and winning games, but I, you know, it's just that's what it's about right now. It's just about going out there and executing. I think if they're healthy, they should be a playoff, team, a serious championship contender. But again, a lot of things can happen. You talked about the Nationals; they were favorites not only to win the division, to win the division by 15 games and run away with the National League pennant, and they won 83 games and missed the playoffs. A lot of things can happen, but you know, you got if you're a Met fan and you're you're with the Mets, if you're a player on the Mets, you gotta feel good about this team going into 2016. There, I tell you, and all the Mets beat reporters have been talking about it, there's a positive vibe at Port St. Lucie this uh, this spring that hasn't been there the last four, five, six, really ten years uh, since this team has been 
uh, in irrelevancy, but, but they're back, and hopefully you know, they could put a team on the field that can win for a couple of years and be a, a, a prolific and a pro uh, a, a, a playoff team year in and year out. If they could do that, I mean, it's hard to say a failure. Here's the story with the Mets. It's no longer about will ownership spend money. It's no longer about will Sandy Alderson pull the trigger. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It has nothing to do with Terry Collins matter. anymore. This team's good enough to win a championship. The window is right now, baby. You bring back Cespedes on basically a one-year deal for $27.5 million. You're paying him the highest annual uh, value to an outfielder this season in baseball. You're expecting to be good. You're expecting to contend have made the move. for a championship. That was the move that's going to put them over the top. You get Cespedes for the full season. It's no longer about the other factors that Met fans, and rightfully so, were screaming about for, as you were saying, Dan, really the last nine years before this team got back to the playoffs last season. The window's right now. This team's good enough to win a championship, and i got to see how the season unfolds. But I think as a Met fan, and I know you're a huge one, as big as anyone out there, I would say it would be very disappointing. I don't know if it would be a total failure, but it would be disappointing if this team doesn't win a championship because right now they are good enough to do it. They are. They are good enough to win the World Series. But, you know, so many things play into a factor. I mean, who would have thought at the beginning of last season, I would have never thought in a million years that they would go to the World Series. I mean, so a lot of things... Well, the Mets were the team last year that came out of nowhere. There's always at least one of those teams. There's There's so many things that play into a factor, but... I think if there's one thing that the Mets did is they put the rest of Major League Baseball on alert that the Mets are going to be good and that they have a young pitching staff that is really that cannot be duplicated in baseball. And I think that's what that's one of the things they have going for them is that they have this pitching staff, this starting pitching staff that can't be duplicated. That no money is going to duplicate how good their pitching staff is, and that's something they have to take advantage of over the next you know handful of years. And the news of the Mets is Zach Wheeler. He's ahead of schedule for his Tommy John rehab. And, I mean, look about look at this Mets staff. Bartolo Colon's their number five right now. He could pitch out of the bullpen if they need him to. And if Zach Wheeler comes around, it comes back around June, maybe early July, whatever it ends up being for this team. I mean, most teams are looking for top-flight starting pitchers. You know, come July, come the training deadline, the Mets might get back a top-starting pitcher to help this already unbelievable pitching staff by mid-June. So you look at where the Mets are right now, and there's no excuses. This team is good enough to win a championship. The final um, cherry on top of the Sunday was Cespedes. He's back. He's got the Batmobile. He's ready to go, Dan. This team is good enough, and now it's on, it's on the, it's, this team it's on to the get team. it done. They, you're right. That's why I was saying before, it's no longer about ownership. It's no longer about Sandy. It's really no longer about Terry either. I think Terry has proven that he can manage a good team. I think what he did with this team the last two months of the regular season last year and into October and into the World Series was phenomenal. I think he proved to all his critics that he is a championship-caliber manager, and I think a lot of people doubted him, including myself. I didn't know if Terry could, could manage a, a championship team and a team with high expectations, but it seemed like as the team got better and better at the end of last season, you know, it just seemed like every move Terry made really clicked. So I think it's, it's, it's about right now is the players. They got to put up, they got to win. They, they, they got to win. They got to be good right from the start. And I like the fact that they open the season in Kansas city. They play the team that beat them in the world series and they get a chance for, uh, uh, to start the season off in style. And transitioning now to the other team in New York, of course, the New York Yankees, they open spring training as well. 
A-Rod reported today what a difference a year makes for that guy. A year ago, he showed up early, and there was already the first controversy surrounding A-Rod last the season. The video that Phil used, that Phil used a comment on the Twitter video. Yeah, A-Rod's driver taking the video. A-Rod's Very funny. The gate. I thought that was pretty funny. It, Phil used taking a little poke at his former teammate. With the Yankees right now, no major stories. Obviously, the Yankees are waiting on Chapman and the decision from Major League Baseball regarding uh, how long he'll be suspended, if he'll be suspended under the newly implemented domestic violence policy. The story with the Yankees that I wanted to touch on, though, Dan, is there's some talk that the Yankees were honored David Ortiz at Yankee Stadium in September when the Yankees take on the Red Sox one final time. Ortiz, as you know, in his final season, he announced his retirement this offseason, that 2016 was going to be his final year as a member of the Red Sox and as a member of Major League Baseball. And you know, a lot of Yankee fans have weighed in on this, and I've got to be honest, I'm one of the Yankee fans that say the Yankees shouldn't honor David Ortiz. This is not Derek Jeter, and that's the argument that some fans will make saying, hey, you know, the Red Sox honored Derek Jeter in his final season. They gave him a gift. They gave him a standing ovation. That's all well, fine, and good, but David Ortiz is not Derek Jeter. David Ortiz was on the same performance-enhancing drugs list in 2003 that a was on, and I know we all just sweep it under a rug because David Ortiz is beloved by the media in Boston, and everyone says he's a great guy and they love him, and he very well might be. But, Dan, i got to be honest with you. The Yankees cannot honor David Ortiz. They just can't. David Ortiz is a lot more like Alex Rodriguez than he is like Derek Jeter. He is. You're right, but I think the Yankees are putting that aside and just doing what uh, I think— it's hard to really say. I, I just think they're doing it because I think they're 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 honoring the fact that he did have a great career, and I think maybe the Yankees fall under that umbrella and that stigma about David Ortiz that you know he does they do push it under the rug. Maybe the Yankees are pushing it under the rug too. It seems like David Ortiz is kind of like this angel in baseball where he can really do no wrong, and it's funny to see that his arch nemesis, the New York Yankees, will honor him. And the other point that Yankee fans have made and other people around baseball is the fact that when you look at David Ortiz and you look at his career and you look at what he's done, and yes, there's no doubt, this guy is an all-time great player. He might very well be in the Hall of Fame. He might be that first guy that's had the PED speculation that was on that list that A-Rod was on in 2003 and go into the Hall of Fame. But the Yankees are, are, are not going to honor David Ortiz. The Yankee fan is not going to get behind that. Because, once again, David Ortiz has not meant as much to baseball as a guy like Derek Jeter has had. And you look at Ortiz's career, and yes, we talked about it. He's a great player. There's no doubt about it. But at the end of the day, Derek Jeter is up here, all the way up top, as representing the well, face I, of baseball. Right. David Ortiz is nowhere right. near but that. Look at the guys that are getting these, these ceremonies now. It's not as... Uh, it, it's not as special anymore because I feel like if you're a if you were a great player, you're getting honored now. It just seems like that every time we look at players, great players, they're getting these celebrations, especially basically in baseball. And I don't understand why guys like Chipper Jones and David Ortiz would get celebrated. I mean, David Ortiz is a, an all-time great Red Sox, and they can celebrate them all they want. But I don't think it's necessary for every team in baseball to honor him every time he comes to the city for the last time. Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, those guys are different. Jeter was a huge ambassador of baseball. He was really the face of the game for 20 years. And Mariano Rivera was one of the greatest players to play his position ever. And I'm not taking anything away from David Ortiz, but I don't... And David Ortiz is an all-time great designated hitter. But I don't put David Ortiz in that category. He's a great player. He might go to Cooperstown one day, depending on what happens with steroids, but... 
I personally don't think he's one of those guys that needs to be celebrated in every city he goes to. I, I just don't see it. I think it's, it's getting out of control in, ba- in baseball. It seems like every year when a guy decides to retire, a somewhat great player, a guy who had a good career, maybe even a great career, has to be celebrated. Why does every team have to celebrate these guys? Chipper Jones, great player. I don't think he deserves to be celebrated. Why does he deserve to be celebrated? The Braves can celebrate him all they want. I don't think it's necessary for every city that he goes to, every visiting park he attends, they got to drowse him with gifts and this and that. It's just, it's too much for me. It's too much for me. And it's getting out of control. And I'm very, I'm, it's kind of a little surprising that the Yankees are going to honor David Ortiz, but maybe they fall under that, like I said before, that stigma that they exonerate David Ortiz for anything he's done relating to steroids. Well, I'll tell you right now, the majority of Yankee fans will not support this decision. And what bothers me about David did they, Ortiz... What, did they pick a date? Uh, it's going to be September 27th to the 29th. It will be that final regular season trip to Yankee Stadium. So what are they doing? Do we know yet? It could be some sort of ceremony. But this is what David Ortiz told the New York Post the other day. You know what I would want most of all? I would love it if the fans of Yankee Stadium gave me a standing ovation. You can't ask for a standing ovation. When Derek Jeter announced his retirement, he didn't say, cheer for me, baseball. Give me gifts. Give me presents. That's ridiculous. You know what I want most of all? I want love it if fans of Yankee Stadium gave me a standing ovation. I think that is absolutely ridiculous. I really do. I think it's ridiculous. He's a great player, but to expect to get cheered at Yankee Stadium because you asked for it, I'm sorry. No way. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it as a Yankee fan, and I think the majority of Yankee fans will feel the same way. Because as I said, David Ortiz, all-time great player. He's not Marion Rivera in significance to baseball, and he's certainly not Derek Jeter. He just isn't. No, you're right. And are you more surprised that David Ortiz is getting honored by Major League Baseball everywhere he goes, or more that, so that the Yankees are going to do it. I'm surprised because the Yankees are the Yankees. The arch rivals with the Red Sox, and if you're going to honor a Red Sox, you know, he better not have some of the but history the that David Ortiz has. But every team is going to be honoring David Ortiz. Yeah. So the, I, I see where the Yankees are coming from. They don't want to be the one team that, if every team is going to give That's David, a good point. They don't want to be that one team that sticks out like a, sour, uh, like a sore thumb and a sour grape and doesn't honor David Ortiz. I'm, maybe if it was up to them, they would do it. But if, if the rest of Major League Baseball is doing maybe baseball feels like, you know what? We'll just suck it up for one day in September. Hopefully we're the division champions by then and they're way out of it. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, maybe they're just sucking it up because the rest of baseball is doing it and they don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. Right. And that could be very well. No, you're right. Based. It's just I think it goes back to the overall point that you were making. These retirement tours over everything. It's too much. It's a lot. It really is a lot to handle. It's too much because it, it. I have no problem if it's for Jeter, if it's for Mo, if it's for all-time greats. And I'm not saying guys like David Ortiz and Chipper Jones are not all-time greats, but I think there is a big gap between Derek Jeter and Chipper Jones and David Ortiz. There's a gap. De- Derek Jeter is almost like a god of baseball. He's an all-time great. He's a, he's a guy that will forever be... Uh, remembered for what he did for baseball. David Ortiz is, a, is an all-time great hitter, but I don't think of him in the same regards I think of Derek Jeter. And I don't think of Chipper Jones in the same regards I think of Derek Jeter. I don't think these guys deserve or really these retirement tours. It's too much. It's too much. If, if the Braves wanted, wanted to re- honor Chipper a couple of years ago, that's fine. The Red Sox want to honor David Ortiz, let them do it. Let them hand out David Ortiz jerseys for all 81 of their home games at Fenway Park. I just have a problem with the, the whole celebration where every city, it becomes the story of the weekend. It becomes, it, you know, it becomes the story of the weekend. I mean, if the Red Sox are playing, um, I'm just out of my head, the Colorado Rockies or some, a bad team, 
the story of the weekend is going to be David Ortiz and how it's his final trip, and this is his final trip, and he's never going to play a game here again. It's too much for me. I, I think for certain guys, fine, but it, generally speaking, it's too much for me. And up next on the Azure and Butick Show, we'll talk some football. Why some people, Dan, at the NFL Combine are just completely out of control. That's up next right here on the Azure and Butick Show. From the East Coast to the West Coast, it's the Asman and Budic Show from Los Angeles, California. The Asman and Budic Show is presented by Wings Over Ithaca and Gus Buster Umbrellas. Back here on the Asman and Budic Show, Jake Asman alongside Dan Budic. Jason Wexler, he's with us as well. He's got his warden-like glasses on. Always and he's good to have Jason here. He's producing this bad boy with us. Dan, I don't know if you've been following... Uh, the NFL Combine and all, obviously everyone's gathering in Indianapolis, working out the top prospects for the draft, and the Combine is really the unofficial, official start of the NFL offseason. Teams start getting together, agents go out there, start talking about their clients, potential free agents, trades get made, everything really gets started, but one of the big things that always happens at the NFL Combine is interviews with the prospects and these are scouts that are interviewing these prospects gms team presidents coaches and i don't know if you follow austin lane on twitter or you saw some of his tweets also I, I saw a little bit of it earlier i mean it's, it's austin really lane disgusting stuff and austin lane for those who haven't seen it he's a former nfl player he played a couple of years in the league he was tweeting out some of the questions that he was asked at the nfl combine when he was going through the draft process i'll read some of them out to you and uh, we'll react accordingly here's the first one if you could kill someone and not get caught would you i mean okay Here's the next one. They asked him if he thought his mother was attractive. All right. Getting a little weird here. And the next one. A coach made a statement to him during his combine interview, and this is what the coach said. I see you have dreads. You smoke weed, don't you? Here's another one, Dan. When a scout asked me at the combine if I had to murder someone, he asked, would I use a gun or a knife? Okay. Another one. When a scout at the combine asked me, Boxers or briefs. So these were actual questions as to an actual draft prospect at the NFL Combine. I mean, your thoughts. It's just, it really doesn't make any sense. These questions are are asinine. They they make no sense. Why would you ever ask someone if you could kill someone and not get caught? Would you? What does that have to do with whether this guy can be a productive NFL player and a productive player for your franchise? Why do you have to ask him if... He thought his mother was attractive. What that question is so ridiculous that it's it. I mean, I don't. I, I'm not in. I'm not on the I'm not on the inside of the NFL. I don't know if this happens often. Maybe it does. These conversations need to be regulated. No, if that's what's being asked. Someone absolutely. from the NFL has to be in those meetings. Has to be there. You can't get a one on one. And these questions are being asked. And you know what? You know what's most disappointing about this? Why is he being judged? On these answers. They mean nothing. And people are judging him on what he answers to these ridiculous questions. For all we know, somebody could not have been drafted as high as they should have been. Or not drafted at all, maybe, because they didn't answer, do you think your mother I is attractive? I think that's not true. I probably is. I, how do we know? You know what this question is like? And uh, Jason, our producer, just made this point. It's like when David Stern said to Jim Rome a long time ago, have you stopped beating your wife? I mean, it's a question like that. There's no right answer. It's ridiculous, and you're going to judge people off that? I mean, come on now. It doesn't make any sense, and I think I agree with you. The NFL really needs to regulate these conversations if this is a regular thing. I mean, again, this is 
you know, one player's testimonial. Let you know, let's see if now we hear from more players that these in, these questions are indeed asked, and these are indeed the type of things that scouts, GMs, agents, I don't know, are asking at the NFL Combine. I certainly hope that players aren't being judged on this, but if they're asking it, then they're definitely judging players on it, right? Why would you ask these questions at when you're trying to evaluate players? Why would you try to ask these questions? What, for just a comedy show? I mean, I mean it doesn't make any sense. You're obviously going to judge them on their answers. And it, personally, I agree with you. The NFL really needs to regulate this. And really, so many bad things have come out with the NFL over the last couple of years. And it's every day, it it's seems every like. every day, whether it was at the at the rookie emporium last year. You need to have a fall guy. You got to have a fall guy. And you know what? Maybe the NFL shouldn't regulate it because the guys they have teaching these players what to do. And you got to have a fall guy. Is telling someone to have a fall guy? Chris Carter said that, of course. I mean, that's ridiculous. And Fowler hasn't even played it down in the National Football League, and he's refereeing a fight between his wife and his baby mama. What's going on here? <laughs> It's, what is he it's sad. doing? And like it, it, you know, it's terrible that I just laughed at that, but like it's, it's just true, it's, comical. it's just comical how poorly ran the NFL like is. Once a month a story breaks about something with the NFL and now, you know, with the way social media evolves every year, it just it's only a matter of time until these ridiculous things that Austin Lane says he was asked at the NFL Combine, which I'm sure other players were asked too, come out to the public. And it, the NFL, you're right, should regulate this because there's an issue with the way the NFL is approaching the draft process. It made, was made clear last year when the whole thing came out at the Rookie Emporium about the fall guy and that that's being talked about and that that is a recommendation um, coming out. There's an issue here with the way the NFL is entering players into their league, and maybe that's why. Maybe that's the reason why there's so many domestic violence problems in the NFL. Maybe it's not an issue about race or this and that. Maybe it comes down to the fact that the NFL's not doing a good enough job in preparing young athletes for the National Football League. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe the NFL needs to change the way they handle the rookies, the process, the combine, the draft, and maybe that will limit and maybe that will reduce these domestic violence problems in the National Football League that stir up every other day. The, the Dante Fowler thing, that was one of the most horrifying videos I've ever seen in my life. The fact that he's refereeing a fight, he grabbed his, the baby mama, pushed him off, and then he apologized. hundred percent my fault. We saw the video. We know it's your fault, man. You know, you apologize. We'll get two games. Don't worry. We'll only get two but games. But that's the thing. He should not play this year, in my opinion. He should not play in the NFL. He does not. The guy has never played it down in the NFL. You don't deserve to play. That's how you act. You do not deserve to play in the league. This is not a 10-year veteran. Playing in the NFL should be a privilege. And when you act like that, and for those who haven't seen the Dante Fowler video, make sure you watch it. You're going to want to see it. It's ridiculous. It's a joke that this guy got away with it, that this um, that this guy leaked, that a human being could treat. Two women like this, I, I mean, the guy hasn't played a snap in the NFL. He tore his ACL last year, but Dante Fowler was a high pick by the Jaguars last oh, year. Third overall? I, th- I think so. And this is how he acts. It, it really is. It, it's a joke. It's a shame. It's a shame. And the NFL has a real problem on their hands. But once again, the ratings are high. Is it possible? Business is booming. What, is, what do they care? Is it, is it completely ridiculous that maybe there's a connection? I, I mean, maybe I'm just saying this because I'm just trying to stir something up. Is there a connection between the fact that at the Rookie Emporium, that uh, the full guy comment got got poked out to the crowd. Now we hear at the NFL Combine, they're asking questions about, would you kill someone if you knew you couldn't get caught? Maybe these types of instances are setting players up for these type of issues in the NFL with domestic violence and violence and 
and Greg Hardy and all these ridiculous things. Maybe it's the NFL that's bringing this upon themselves. I don't know, but this is horrible. And the NFL really needs to change the way because they're getting a they're getting a bad image, and they're for a young audience, a young football audience that's trying to get into the game are seeing these things pop up day in and day out. It's not a good reflection of the league, and it's not a good reflection of Roger Goodell, and it's getting out of control. The other big story involving the Jets and Giants, with the Jets anyway, was the Jets cut Antonio Cromartie. Eight million dollars they saved with their cap space. Understood. Todd Bowles was asked, you know, can you guys bring Antonio Cromartie back? And he said it's possible. It would have to be at, you know, maybe a one to two million dollar contract. Cromartie did play well after a rough start to his season, but obviously, if you watch the Jets as much as we do, you know he's not the same player. He's not what he once was. But you give him credit; he came back to the Jets. He took less money to come back and be a Jet for this past season. I always like Antonio Cromartie. My favorite memory with Cromartie, if this is indeed it for him for good this time with the Jets will be the the, the uh, wild card round of the playoffs in 2010. Jets-Colts, Jets down late in the game to Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. Antonio Cromartie's 45-yard kick return helped set up the Jets to allow Nick Falk a couple plays later after a great pass from Mark Sanchez to Braylon Edwards on the far right sideline. Put him in field goal range. Nick Falk hits the 35-yard field goal. The Jets move on. We know what happened in that playoffs. They beat New England the following week. But I, I can, for a uh, forever moment in Jets history. I don't think this is the end of Crow as a Jet. I just think they did it. To, they had. The, they won the save the eight million dollars in cash face. I could see them bringing him back. I can too. I'm not going to rule it out as a number two or number three cornerback. I can absolutely see it. I would not be surprised if the Jets bring him back. But you know the un, the reason for cutting him is to save the money in the cap room. He's not you know the eight million dollars is a lot of money to save. You could put that eight million dollars into another player, and the He's one thing that, and the one thing the Jets have you know on their defense is depth in their secondary. You know by the end of the season, Marcus Williams really emerged as the number two corner. Buster Screen is being paid like a top two corner, but they use him in the slot, and he had a lot of success there. We know what Darrell Revis is, even though he had a rough week seventeen against the Bills that will forever haunt my dreams. But this Jets team has a lot of talent in their secondary. They can afford the loss of Cromartie, but if he's willing to come back on a reduced contract, I can see the Jets bringing him back. He's well-liked in that locker room. He gets along well with Todd Bowles. They had the connection from Arizona. He came over to the Jets when he was with Bowles. That one season, they were together in Arizona. I can see the Jets bringing Crow back. Oh, me too. I wouldn't be surprised if they bring him back. And remember, it's not like he's that much on the decline. He didn't have as good as a year as he's... Had he had a good second half of the season last year with the Jets when they got on that hot streak and won um, and put themselves in a position to make the playoffs, he played very well at the end of the season. I mean, he's just two years removed from being a, a top of the top, a top corner in the league. I mean, two years ago with Arizona, he was one he's of the best. Pro he was a Pro Bowl. He's one of the best corners in football. So I, I could definitely see them bringing back Crow, but I think you know the NFL with the way the cap situation is, there's a price for everyone, and I think the Jets are not willing to dish out and. and Confirm that $8 million. If they could save a few bucks and bring him back, they absolutely will. And with the Giants, Dan, Victor Cruz said today, 80% chance he's back with the Giants. I mean, if you're the Giants... I don't believe anything Victor Cruz says. Are you bringing him back? But I don't believe anything Victor Cruz says in general. I don't even know if he's healthy. I don't believe anything Victor Cruz said. He said he'd be able to play by week six. He hasn't been able to play. He didn't play all season. The year before, he missed 95% of the season. I, I mean, it seems like Victor Cruz is just jerking the Giants around with his with his calf injury, with his injuries. He, he's not, he hasn't been healthy in two years. If he's willing to take a pay cut. He's got to take a significant pay of cut. Of course, you can't pay him like a number one wide receiver. You know, it's a shame, though, with Victor Cruz because you look at this guy and we never really got to see him play on the field at the same time as Odell Beckham Jr. When Beckham came onto the 
seen, if you remember, he had a hamstring injury himself his rookie season. He didn't play in the first four games. He comes back, and he only played about a game and a half of total field time with Victor Cruz, because Cruz got hurt in the Eagles game on that Sunday night game, if you remember. We haven't seen him since. That's so long ago. Like, so that's why to say that Victor, Victor Cruz could see himself coming back to the Giants. It not, might not be up to him. It's not like this guy is like an old – he hasn't played in two seasons. Does Jerry Reese want to bring him back? Does I don't Jerry, know. Does Jerry Reese – I don't know anything about Jerry does, Reese does anymore. Does Jerry Reese, who deserves to be fired, is he going to bring back a receiver who hasn't played in two years? Come on. I, that's why, like, for, for Victor Cruz to go out there and say, well, I could see myself coming back to the Giants, yeah. Of course you want to come back to the Giants, but you haven't been healthy in two years. Realistically, look at it. The Giants probably can find a, a receiver that's going to give them more yardage, that's going to play more percentage of snaps than Victor Cruz is going to play this year. And last year, it felt like the first half of the season, I was hearing Victor Cruz come back next week. He's practicing this week. He's coming back. He's not coming back. He's going to miss it. And all of a sudden, boom, he gets hurt. Done. It was like, it was like he's ready to come back. He got hurt again. He's out for the season. It was like, come on. When are we going to see Victor Cruz back? And how long can the Giants just hang hang around with him until they can't handle the cap situation anymore? And finally, Jerry Reese has got to say, you know what? I, I Maybe he's having a realization where, you know what? I'm lucky I still have a, a job, and I need to put receivers out there that are going to help Odell Beckham Jr., not going to sit on the bench and be hurt all season. That's a, it just For Victor Cruz to say he, he, he hopes he comes back to the Giants, yeah, he hopes he does, but it's not going to be a decision in his hands. Gronk party cruise, Dan. Let's get your thoughts on this. The big story, Gronk taking a cruise. He's dancing. He's drinking. A lot of media have weighed in on this. People think it's fun for the league. People have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. Your thoughts. I don't have a problem with it at all. But I have a problem with the fact that a year and a half ago, um, Tony Romo wanted to do a a gambling event on a cruise and wasn't allowed to. To raise money for charity. To raise money for charity and was not allowed to. The NFL would not let them would not let it go down as an NFL charity event because there was gambling, which I understand. But then there's no way, there is no way that Rob Gronkowski should be allowed to have a booze cruise um, and put the NFL name and, and, and the NFL has no problem with it. And that is where I have a problem. That's hypocritical. It's hypocritical because why would you put your name on on partying and we're getting turned up tonight, quote-unquote, or whatever the quote was. Why, why are the NFLs putting their names on that? But they won't put their name on Tony Romo and a charity gambling event he wanted to do on a, on a, on a ship. Oh, it's just it's hypocritical. It goes back to what we talk about with the NFL. It's poorly it's, wrong. It's the NFL, really. It, it's reached a point where it's just, I'm so sick of these things. I'm so sick of these instances. It just has gotten to a point where it's really, it's unbearable anymore. It's not bearable. Listen, it's Gronk's world, and we're all just living in it. And in this case, we're swimming in it. And everyone, you know what? Maybe Roger Goodell in the NFL has the hots for Gronk. They love Gronk. He's great for the league. But there are certain times where, especially if you're, if you're, if you have a precedent, you got to stick to your guns. You can't back down on it because Rob Gronkowski is the, the most popular tight end in the history of the National Football League. I mean, you gotta, you gotta hold your ground here with the NFL. No question about that, Dan. This was a lot of fun. Great show. We touched on oh, several different topics. Thank you to our entire staff for helping us Jason get Wexler. get ready for this. Jason to our left did a great job producing the show, producing, running our social media accounts. Thank you to Connor Weingarten and Jake Chernock for what they do on the program as well, our executive producers. Dan, this was a lot of fun. Thanks to everyone for tuning in, as always. We'll see you later in the week. We're working on a couple of interviews right now. We're going to work on getting some Mets reporters on to help preview their team. For those who haven't heard, our interview with Wally Matthews of ESPN New York, you can take a look. That's on our iTunes page and, of course, on the Asman Budic page on ICTV.org. You can follow us on social media at Jake Asman, at Dan Budic. 
The show's Twitter account is at Asmin Budic Show, so you can take a look on there and get all the latest with us regarding the show. But a lot of fun once again, Dan. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Asmin and Budic Show. To keep up with the guys, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter with the handle at Asmin Budic Show. 